Pierre Kim? Which one was it? It's called Offering. Yeah, there we go. I heard a term this last week that said, uh, ministry to the Lord. And I was, I've been thinking about that term, a ministry to the Lord. When we come into church services and we have Sunday morning services, I think a lot of times we come in with the, the thought of like, what can I get out of it today? Or I hope it fills me up. Um, and I think sometimes what we're really doing when we, come in, when we come here and we're worshiping, we're singing songs, is we're ministering to the Lord. Um, our worship to Him is, is it calls it a fragrance, uh, an aroma that rises to Him. And I thought that this was pretty fitting even for what we're going to be talking about today. It says, The sun cannot compare to the glory of your love. There is no shadow in your presence. No mortal man would dare to stand before your throne, before the Holy One of Heaven. It's only by your blood, and it's only through your mercy, Lord, I come. I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one, earth, no one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. O oh Lord, I bring an offering to you. Um, let me pray for us real fast, then we'll get into the Word. God, we come here this morning to bring an offering of our souls, of ourselves, of our lives to you. We sing songs. We, uh, we're going to take in communion together. Um, we're going to have conversations with our brothers and our sisters, and we're going to study your word as a ministry to you. God, I pray um, that our lives would be a ministry to you today, that we would be able to serve you and give our all to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we are in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, and this is the sixth message in this series called Masterpiece. And for some of you guys, this week has been extremely long. I don't know why, but I, I think I've heard it more this week than I have in other weeks where people have been like, this was just the longest week ever. I don't, if, I don't know if anybody else felt that way. Um, it started for me last Sunday after church watching the football game. I spent more time sitting like this than I probably should have. Um, if you guys heard about my Niners, they lost, and uh, it drove me to a state of sadness. Um, but it, it was, it's okay. Life goes on. Steve, congratulations. Um, I know it brought joy to your life. <laughs> um, but just to recap a little bit of, of what we've been going through, we, we've been talking about the, the beauty of, of sitting and how that connects us to God. Um, to review, we have sit, walk, stand. For some of us this last week, it was a whirlwind of emotions. Um, I know at work we had wild things happening with students. We're doing a whole transition in our schedule. So when, when I'm teaching this, teaching this last week was just nuts. And then came Friday night and we had um, game night here at the church, which all of you that came out, it was pretty fun. It's wild, but super fun. Um, that's just the way we are at Northgate. We're, we get some wild families having wild fun times, right? Playing games, Eric, congratulations on your victories, right? I think he won all of them. Um, I'm a little bitter about that as well, but that's okay. Still love you, bro. Um, 
And then for those who help out at the brewery or made, made a way over there uh, yesterday, chaos. But good chaos, right? Slammed from open till close. Um, I sat there for a little bit going, I think this is the new spot in Manteca. Um, and connected with a lot of people that we haven't seen in a while. Just they're coming out to see what was going on. And uh, they were asking, oh, yeah, hey, this is great for you guys. How's, how's it going? Um, and I was like, you know what? So far in the, the few weeks that it's been open for us, it's been a huge catalyst for conversations. It is changing Manteca one pint at a time. And it, it is incredible, the, the opportunities that are being created. Um, and I know a lot of this last week was in preparation for that, for those that are involved there. Um, and it was all good things in that area. And for others, it was not all good. Others had... Um, struggles and difficulties going on in their lives. Um, so we come into this morning with a wide range of emotions, of sentiments, of uh, feelings, some good, some hard, some not. All of those really should drive us to a place of sitting, sitting longer. And I am going to be honest, um, this message for me, I've had to spend a little extra time sitting because it's been, um, it, it was, it, it's hard to address sin. And when we start to talk about sin, I know church uh, in general, Big C Church, um, American Christian Church, tends to avoid the topic of sin because it's uncomfortable. And I've had to pray a lot of hours about how do I deliver this sermon without um, making you feel like I'm judging you. Right? I'm not, I'm not judging you. What I want to do this morning is I'm going to read through a pretty large section of Ephesians that addresses certain sin areas. And the way that I, I've thought about this in my sitting was that when I read through it on my own, and I'm reading it for personal gain or personal knowledge and, and personal time with the Lord, God convicts me. When I'm looking at the sin inside of my own life, it's easy to feel like God is speaking directly to me. But when somebody else points it out in my life and they're like, hey, uh, you probably shouldn't do that. I'm like, why are you judging me? You don't know me. Right? It comes from a different angle. Of course, you have to remain humble in order to receive that. And the conviction that happens within you is charge of the Holy Spirit. And so my prayers for us this morning is that our hearts would be softened. That it would be softened to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit and allow God to speak to you and minister to you through the words of Paul. Um, I know that in, in last week we, we started in chapter 4 and there was this, it's the turn of the book from the first three chapters looking at identity and the next three chapters talking about how to live out who we really are. And I glanced over a decent sized section that talked about our spiritual giftings. And I want you to know that um, I didn't do a full message on spiritual gifts because I'm not quite ready to preach on them, okay? But I am going to come back to them. Uh, I know I just read them for us briefly, and it talked about the five offices, some call them, or giftings um, for the benefit of the church. But I want, to, I want to sit in that a little bit longer 
before I, I teach on that or preach on that. So I want you to know that I'm going to come back to that, and I might even do that at the end of chapter 5 when it starts talking about Christian marriage. Um, I want to give those two topics in particular a little bit more time of marination or time of sitting in the Word before I would feel comfortable coming up and teaching on it saying, I really think that this is what it's trying to say. So for this week, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 5, uh, 20, 21. Okay? And I want to start with this slide, or this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that says, Jesus calls us to follow him. He does not call us to follow him so that he may be an example to us, but he calls us to follow him so that he may make us into his own image. Okay. Jesus calls us to follow him. He does not call, call us to follow him so that he may be an example to us, but he calls us to follow him so that he may make us into his own image. Right? In Ephesians chapter 1, we were called to the table to sit with Jesus at the table. And in verse 2, we talked about a new human, or in chapter 2, new humanity, stepping into who we are, that we are adopted sons and daughters of the living God. We've been sitting in our identity for the first three chapters. Chapter 4, we're called to live a life worthy of the calling, right? We want to live a life worthy of the calling. And, and we talked about the scales last week where may my life live up to the calling that God has put on our lives, right? We're called to walk. So chapters one through three, we're sitting in our identity, and then chapter four, he calls us to get up and start walking out. Put your feet into action. Start living out what you've been called to be, right? We've been called to be sons and daughters of the living God, inheritors of the Holy Spirit. And so when we get to this, this section in chapter four, in the NIV, there's this bolded title for this section, and it says, Instructions for Christian Living. I wanted to take a side note here real fast and let you know that the bolded words in your Bible, those are not from Paul. They are not from um, any of the apostles or even from Jesus. They are from the editor of that Bible. Okay, they, They've been added in later as a subtitle to kind of say, this is what this section is about, in my opinion, okay? So it's an opinion of the editor of what this section is trying to capture. It's trying to say, all right, in this section, Paul is talking about instructions for Christian living. I didn't like that term. I didn't really like the term instructions for Christian living. I don't, maybe, I, I just have been brought up in a way where some people taught me by, the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Have you guys heard that before? That that's what the Bible stands for? But I'm like, it's not about instructions. It's not about a set of rules. You're, you're not going to do more to earn more of God's love. It's too, I don't know, religious for me. And it's missing the concept of relationship for me. So I looked at a, a couple other um, titles, the way that other editors had titled this. Um, in the Net Bible, they gave it the title, Live in Unity. I said, oh, Okay. I kind of like that a little bit more. Unity is sort of the instruction that is being given on how to live a Christian life in a united way. And then the one that I'm going to use today is the New American Standard Bible. Gave it the title, The Christian's Walk. The Christian's Walk. 
And I think I liked that one, and I'm hanging on that one today simply because it fits with what we're teaching about sitting in the identity of Christ, walking in who you are, and eventually in chapter 6, we'll get to standing for what you believe in. But I wanted to read this section, and this is the section where you might feel a little convicted, okay? So instead of me giving you too much commentary on it right up front, I just want to read it for us first, and you guys can follow along. This is the uh, NASB or New American Standard Bible, so it might be phrased a little bit differently than the Bibles that you guys have, but this is what it says. So I say this, and affirm in the Lord, that you are to no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves up to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor because we are parts of one another be angry and yet do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity the one who steals must no longer steal but rather he must labor producing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Thank you, Paul. These verses have conviction in them. And as I think about, you know, I, I, I get this picture of Paul sitting in a jail cell in Ephesus. And he's hearing these things going on around him outside of his, his window, right? We've talked about the child traffickers that, that are, selling chi- are stealing children off the mountaintops. That we, we've talked about the, the love of sports and fame and Queen Sheba and the blood that filled the streets giving her a red carpet. We've talked about the, the gods of Nike and, and Artemis and, and all the other little gods that they've worshipped. He probably heard fights outside of his cell, just like if you would imagine any jail would be like. There's fights, there's anger, there's clamor. And he's heard the the whispers amongst other people saying, well, yeah, did you hear about this person? Did you hear what she did? 
Did you hear that he stole this and he got away with it? Did you hear, did you hear all the little gossip that's going on around town? Listen, listen to the crowds, listen to the people. And he says in, in a word of affirmation in, the last, in verse 32, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. It's a strive for Christian living that unites us in our words that we're sharing with each other and the way that we're acting with one another. Walk out a Christian life in a manner that is pleasing to God and truly reflects our faith. Yesterday, I went on a hike. I hiked up Mount Diablo, right? Um, at the beginning of this month, I committed to this thing called the Taji 100. It's basically a, an attempt to promote heart healthiness, and it the, sets the goal of running 100 miles in the month of February, running, walking, hiking. Um, so yesterday, our, our, I went with a couple other guys, and our objective was to reach the summit, right? We started at Rock City um, in, uh, I forget, outside that, San Ramon, outside of San Ramon, and we hiked for 4.2 miles straight uphill, right? Um, The goal we had in mind was to reach the top of the mountain, and as we stood at the bottom, we looked up, and there was a cloud that was on top of the hill where it was like, okay, we're going to ascend into the heavens, (laughs) It's really what it felt like, and it was. It was straight up. I think we gained an elevation of 2,200 feet. So I want you to imagine if your life is like a journey, and you're on a journey, and your destination is the dwelling place of God, which we've talked about, right? Um, We've called that the heavenly realms. Jesus has taken his seat in the heavenly realms in the midst of this this spiritual realm that exists within Ephesus and and in our lives as well, where the angelic and the demonic presence resides. Okay, if Jesus is seated there, that is our goal, is to get to Jesus and to be with Jesus. I think it, just sorry, hiking this, it puts so many images in my my mind. This, This road was not easy. Okay, this hike was not easy. It was difficult. At times, since it started raining on us, and it had rained the night before, this road was narrow and slippery and muddy. My mother would be scared and say, why are you hiking this mountain right now? She, I didn't tell her until after I got back. <clears throat> Our first section that we started to ascend was pretty steep. And they actually they put in wooden steps for you because... You stepped on it, and your foot just got caked with this like clay-like mud. And if you weren't sure-footed, you would slip, and you could slide, and there's cliffs on both sides of you. Well, really just on your left-hand side, so fall to the right, right? There's, there's, uh, there were uh, parts of this, this climb where in our trail map, it looked like it would go to the left, but if you went to the right, it would be quicker, Right? And I started coming up with all these analogies in my mind of, of like, well, if I encounter two different paths, one of them is well lit and the other is dark and treacherous, which one do I choose? Being a little facetious myself, I, I started asking the question, well, which one's quicker? 
Which one's easier? Which one gets me to the top faster? Even if it looked like we had to do some rock climbing, right? I wanted to go that way. It looked like fun. It kind of was. We did that a couple times. Um, One of the times, though, we went down a path, but we ended up going the wrong way. And we had to course correct. And if we're thinking about this journey as a, a metaphor for our lives, a lot of times we'll be walking down a path and you might go a different direction without even knowing it. But as soon as you realize it, you need to course correct and get back on the path that will lead you up the mountain or, in this metaphor, to the place that you're trying to reach, the place of Christ. The choice between these two paths is a crucial one. And this is what Paul is saying. Because the path that you take will determine your destination. If we choose to walk in light, we'll experience the fullness of God's blessings and the joy of living according to his will. But if we choose to walk in darkness, we'll be led astray and we'll eventually fall into sin and despair. So Paul lays it out to us. And the word that he used is, uses is peripateo. It's like walking around. So it's not just a one-time thing. And I, I, we, I think we've cheapened this idea of, of holiness to, to a one-time conversion experience where we said, okay, yes, Jesus, I follow you in my life. And then we never continue this walk up this mountain. Some of us get halfway and say, I'm good. You know? But we haven't reached our goal yet. We haven't reached the summit yet. He says, as you are walking around, it means putting off our old self and putting on a new self. It's not a one-time act of repentance. It's continual. We're continually putting off our old self and putting on our new self. Our new self is characterized by righteousness and holiness, and it requires us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to speak truth in love. So walking the Christian life means loving one another as Christ loved us. Christ loved us all the way through the cross. He didn't stop at the foot of Mount Golgotha, right? He went all the way to the top. He didn't stop once he got pinned to the cross. He didn't stop after they beat him and spit on him and, and made fun of him and poked him. He served us all the way into the point of death. And he says, this is my calling for you to love one another as Christ has loved us. This radical love requires us to be kind and compassionate even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, and to put the needs of others before our own. And it means resisting the temptations of the world, avoiding deeds of darkness, exposing them, um, and walking in the light of Christ. I tell you this, and I know it's hard, but the journey towards heaven is worth it. And there will be times when your path is muddy and steep, and your legs hurt, and your ankles hurt, and your knees are cracking. For some of us, that sounds like just getting out of bed in the morning. But it's hard. The Christian walk is hard. The journey towards heaven is hard, but it's worth it. This is kind of what it looks like. If we put some some different cross-references together here, putting off the old self, Paul tells us in some of his other writings in Colossians, 
uh, verses 3, verses 9 through 10, he says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. And then a little bit further in that chapter, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and clearly or dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. In your old self, you would look differently. And overall, these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're putting off our old self and putting on a new self. I, I've had to learn this in my married life. There are still things that I suck at. And I have to put them off in order to put on a new. Like I said last week, I am husband, but I still have old single issues that I haven't dealt with. Like putting my contacts away or taking the trash out, doing my own laundry. Right? I gotta learn how to do some of those things that I haven't necessarily done well. Romans 6, 6 through 7, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And then in Romans 12, too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Three ways to walk. Chapter 5. First, walk in love. Walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But, as sexually, but sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving, thanks, giving of thanks. For this you know, with certainty that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person which amounts to an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See that no one deceives you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sins of obedience. Do any of you have someone that you admire or look up to that you try to imitate your life after? Who's that, who's that person where you're like, ah, I want to I be like them. I, got, I, I have several in my life. My dad is one of them. My brother is another. And I have a lot of really close friends where there's attributes about them where like, I want to be like them. Um, the other day, I stood next to my daughter like this, and she was standing the same way. And she was like, Dad, look, I'm just like you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I sat, um, I was watching Jude play chess with, with Eric the other night, no, with Sam the other night. And he started saying some um, colloquialisms or some, some words uh, that I was like, you sound just like Owen, right? And I was like, you spent a lot of time with Owen, huh? And, and then I realized, wait, Owen got those from Daniel, and it was passed down from generation to brother. 
I notice a lot of times my sense of humor is just like my dad's. Nobody else gets it. Except my dad. That's why they're laughing, because they know, right? My sense of humor is a lot like my dad's. When Paul says, be imitators of God, right? Be imitators of God as beloved children, he's saying, try to look more like God. The more that you sit in the presence of God, the more you become like him. That is our goal as Christians, is to look more like Jesus, to look more like God, taking on his characteristics, taking on his character traits, loving, kindness, walking as children of light. What does he say? Walk in love as Christ loved, a love that is endless, a love that goes even to the point of death, looking more like Jesus. He gives us these two things, walk in love by being imitators of God, and then the second is walking in love just as Christ loved us. Next thing he says in verses 7 through 14, he says, walk in light. Therefore, do not become partners, oh sorry, a couple, uh, I forgot, I have a couple quotes here. The love of God is not a feeling of sentimentality, it is yourself walking in the very nature of God. Through that book that I showed you and shared with you guys last week, Watchman Nee says that the love, it's not about the feeling, the sentiment of love. It's, it's you're yourself walking in the nature of God. And then from another youth pastor that I listened to, he says, we don't try our way to imitation. We intimacy our way to imit- in imitation. We don't try our way to imitation. We intimacy our way to imitation. Right? It's not by doing more and trying to do this all on my own. It's, a, it's about spending that extra time with Jesus so that he starts to rub off on us. His character starts to become our character. Right? Working with teenagers for, for many years, that's the number one thing I've seen, that you show me your friends and I'll show you where you're going. Right? If you guys have kids or you're around kids, you know that's true. If you're surrounding yourself with, with good people, and you have good friends, you're going to start walking like them, being like them. But if you start hanging out with the wrong crowd, eventually you're going to start going down that wrong crowd. Okay? So we don't try our way to imitation. We intimacy our way to imitation. All right, walking in light. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things have become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Walk in the light. Expose the darkness. Honestly, Big C Church, America, we suck at this. We hold our sins. And and maybe it's not even just the Big C Church. It's human nature. There's a difference between conviction and shame. Shame says, hey, you can't tell anybody about this. It's too shameful. Don't, don't tell people about your secret sexual sin. Don't tell people that you, you've been shaving money off the books. 
Don't, don't tell people that you're really, really angry at this person and you hope they die. Don't, don't tell people that you fill in the blank. When you hide things shamefully, they never get taken care of. They sit inside of your soul and they fester and they grow and they get worse. They eat you up inside. Conviction says, man, I really shouldn't have done that. I know I struggle with this sexual sin. Hey, brother, can you keep me accountable? I know I shouldn't shave that $100 off the top of the books. I'm going to pay it back. Hey, babe, I took some money that I shouldn't have. I got to pay it back. Will you forgive me? Hey, uh, I've had some problems with you. You took my lawnmower and you didn't return it. I really need it. But I've been harboring anger from you, for you ever since you did that. Can I have it back? Will you forgive me for being angry at you? You see, when we start talking about the things that are eating us up inside, the sin that is destroying our personal relationship with God, our, our time of intimacy sitting with Jesus, he, he says in the, in the chapter prior, do not let the sun go down in anger while you are still angry. Go and solve that thing and then come back. Because when you let those things fester, you're going to hinder your relationship between you and God. God, he, he never designed sin to be something as shameful like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. It, it wasn't me, it was her. Right? Give me that fig leaf, i got to hide. We hide behind fig leaves. We hide behind our shame when God says, just talk to me. I can handle it. As a church, come talk to me. I can handle it. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. I want to help you get to a place of health. Walk in light, and the light will expose the darkness. And that's an awesome, beautiful thing. Wherever light is, dark cannot be there. So when these things are brought to light, the darkness is destroyed. Walk in light and avoid the impurities. Sorry, I read that part. Last one is walk in wisdom. We were joking earlier this morning that I got this sweater and my beard started to camouflage with it. You know, the speckles of gray. And um, I forget if it was Dave or Gene. They said it's wisdom, right? We got wisdom. i just not as wise as Dave yet. I'll get there. <laughs> okay. So he says, so then be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but people... Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus to our God and Father. And subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. We want to walk in love, we want to walk in light, and we want to walk in wisdom. All for the purpose of trying to become imitators of God. Okay. With that, um, we are going to enter into a time of uh, communion. And in this, in, it's, it, he does tell us, before we take communion, to look inwardly inside of yourselves. 
He says, do that so that you're not eating and drinking judgment upon yourselves as you partake of communion. If you have something against someone in this room right now that you can take care of, if you're harboring bitterness or anger or envy or malice, I'm going to encourage you to go have a conversation with that person before you come take communion. If it's something that you need to work out inside of your own heart, just release to God. Spend some time in prayer or in worship before you come up and take communion. But he does say he wants us to do this often in remembrance of him. So he takes the bread when he's eating with his disciples and he breaks it and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this often in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup that's on the table and he says, this is my blood which has been shed for you as often as you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. So we do this as an act of worship to God um, to remember him. So let's, let me go ahead and pray for us and then we'll enter into a time of worship. God, we want to walk as Jesus walked. We want to be imitators of God. We want to have your sense of humor. We want to have your power. We want to have your love. We want to have your grace. We want to have all the characteristics that you have, your kindness, your gentleness, your peacefulness, your self-control, your compassion, God, as we sit in your word, as we sit in the apostles' teaching, and we learn of who you are, and we contemplate it, and we look at our own lives, God, I pray that you would convict us of our sin, that we would have a time of repentance, a time of turning, putting off our old self and putting on a new self, that as we come to the table this morning, we could walk upright and righteously, forgiven, free to partake of a, a communion, a table united with the body of Christ with a redeemed heart. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.